showtime. Wealth is the ability to fully experience life. Quoted by the one and only Henry David Thoreau. You're tuned into the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and I have my first guest ever in the house. I've hinted that I'm not a financial advisor. I've hinted that I've maybe once or twice played one on TV, but today I want to bring you a real deal financial advisor, someone that I know, like, and trust, someone I've known for going on 20 years, the one and the only Rob Farragher with Sequoia Advisory Services. How you doing today, Rob? I'm good. Thanks for Hey, thanks for uh, making time to jump on. So check this out. Last week's episode, I did a whole entire episode on why paying your mortgage off sucks. And I know from our relationship outside of the podcast and outside of work, by the way, Rob's a client of Waterstone Mortgage and Waterstone Mortgage says, thank you for your business. Um, But I know you have maybe some differing opinions. And uh, before we jump into your differing opinions on me saying that paying your mortgage off stupid, I think was the, the, the actual episode is why paying your mortgage off is stupid. And if you listen to it, I, I jump into it. it's not really stupid. I just tell the audience that based on my personal experiences and beliefs that you shouldn't pay your mortgage off come hell or high water. If you don't have things like emergency funds, if you have things like credit card debt, if you're not investing in your 401k, if you don't have an IRA, I just told the audience based on my personal beliefs, you should prioritize those types of um, financial doings prior to paying off your mortgage. Now you're a financial advisor, but you're a financial advisor in a, in, in with a specialty or uh, a focus in a certain segment. And what is that segment? Um, mostly it's corporate benefits, corporate benefit retirement plans. So for the most part it's 401ks. Okay. I was going to say, can you say that in English? Cause the like I'm, I'm part of the audience and I don't know if I would understand corporate benefits, yep. but I do know what a 401k is. Yep. Right. And for those that don't know what a 401k is, what's the best way to explain 401k? Uh, it would be a tax deferred savings account that's attached to your company's payroll that gives you the ability to put aside money on a per pay period basis. Okay. So tax deferred is a good thing? Yeah. Tax deferred is the opposite of having to pay taxes on the money that you earn each year. The IRS throws you a bone and says the money, as it begins to grow and earn interest, you, you defer out those taxes until you take physical receipts. So. And 401k. Is that are those funds accessible right away, or is it for only retirement? You know, that's an interesting question. I would say ten years ago, when I would explain it, it was always about retirement. But I think I've seen enough life throw people curveballs that it's really about you know accessing that money for some sort of future need or future event. It's designed for retirement, but um, you know people are in between jobs enough, or have a medical emergency, or, or different things can happen. So I, I, I would say more often than not, people uh, access that money before retirement than uh, retirement. Okay, so you're explaining to me that my 401k is company-sponsored, right? So it's through my employer. Uh, I can contribute money yep. before Uncle Sam gets to it, so it's tax-deferred. Or you could contribute to it after you pay the taxes. Okay, but most people probably do it tax-deferred. Correct. Okay, so that means you're not paying income taxes on that portion of the money that's being invested into the 401k. And I'm, I'm saying invested because I'm assuming a 401k is similar to like buying stocks or bonds or mutual funds. Like it's going into something better than the 0.3% I get in my checking account. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think a lot of people, um, when they think of a 401k, they think of it is an investment. 
Uh, and that's not always the case. You know, think of the 401k as just an account, and within that account you can buy the traditional investments of stocks and bonds, but you also have the ability to have it sitting in a money market account. So if you're the kind of person that hates the idea of you know, seeing the value go down, you, know, you can still get the tax defer deferred benefit of contributing to a 401k, but not put the money in the market if you don't want to. So now, for the most part, most of them have a money market option. Is that something I choose on my own, or is that something that I lean on someone like you to help me make those decisions based on where I am in life? Yeah, ultimately the decision is up to the individual participant, but with the clients that I work with, I'm there to help help them understand it, under, you know, make sense of the investments, because the reality is I think that's the part that gets a little bit more confusing to anybody. You know, Saving 4 or 5% of your paycheck is, is pretty clear-cut, but you know, once that money goes into the account and how do I design it in a way that's really going to be best suited for my particular needs is where, you know, I step in and I can help people out with that. In general, would you say investing for retirement or investing in general is a DIY, a do-it-yourself? Or would you recommend reaching out to an expert and talking through your particulars and your specifics uh, in terms of where you are in life and what you're trying to achieve? I think it would be good to work with a professional because they're going to, they're going to know certain things that you would probably think about. Um, but, you know, I'm also not opposed where if people want to, you know, open up a, a Schwab account and trade stocks themselves or buy some index funds. That's, that's fine. But I think that, you know, it, it, there is value in working with somebody to help design. And it. I bring that up because this is going to come up in uh, future episodes as well, because personally, I'm a huge fan of do what you do well mm -hmm. and pay others to do what they do well. Right. So unless you enjoy it, right. I enjoy doing my lawn. Therefore I do my own lawn. Yeah. But if you don't enjoy doing your lawn and it's a burden or a hassle, I would recommend weigh the pros and cons from a financial standpoint, but something as simple as doing your, your lawn. I, if I was a person who didn't like doing it, I'd rather stay at work an extra hour doing what I do well so that I can afford to pay someone to do my lawn, which is something I don't do well, or I don't like doing. Uh, same thing goes for, uh, investing for my retirement as astute as I may be with some personal finance issues. I'm still not an astute picker of stocks. I, I, I need to rely on someone who's a professional who can ask me the right questions, answer my questions when I have them, but more importantly, point me, point me in the right direction. So that was just more of a curiosity, uh, curious to get your, your philosophy on those things. What I want to circle back to is you mentioned 10 years ago, the way that you explained a 401k is a little bit different. And I think we were starting to go down a, down a path where you were going to explain to the audience, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that you can tap into your 401k prior to retirement if it's for emergency purposes? Uh, well, there's a few different ways. Um, and, you know, each 401k can be drawn up differently. So, you know, some would allow it, some may disallow it. It just depends on how that particular plan is drawn up. But, you know, when you're dealing with a tax-deferred account, whether it be, you know, 401k or IRA, you know, in the eyes of the IRS, they're going to say, okay, if you access these funds prior to the age of 59 and a half, we're going to assess a 10% penalty, okay? So one of the things with a 401k is I tell everybody that if you're going to think you may need to access this money prior to that age, you may want to look at putting the funding it into the pre-tax option because in a lot of cases, you know, obviously, speak with whoever your, your plan admin is, uh, if the plan allows for loans, you can borrow money from your 401k to pay off, you know, again, it should be for a, a debt consolidation or maybe a home repair or something like that.
not to go on like a snowboarding trip with your buddies, but you can take money out of the 401k um, and you'll pay it back with interest through the payroll and you pay yourself the interest. So it's, it's essentially like you're your own bank. Um, but you know, obviously that money's not working for you. It's not being invested at the time, but it is a way to access funds without having to pay a penalty uh, and, and without having to incur any sort of tax liability. And, and I can tell you this as a mortgage professional, right? Helping people purchase homes uh, by financing the, the home purchases. We have clients that borrow against their 401k for their down payment. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's always been a great source for down payment. But I have come across situations where the client was unable to borrow against their 401k. Can you, can you talk on that? Like, like I had a client who totally anticipated borrowing from his 401k for his down payment. Now he didn't do what we asked him to do, which is, Hey, please pick up the phone and call the plan administrator. Like you just mentioned to make sure you can do this. He just made the assumption that because his buddy did it and his sister did it, they work for different employers that he would be able to do it. And what he found out is he would only be able to access those funds if he quit the job or was fired. Yeah. So the, the, it sounds to me like the plan did not allow for, you know, participant loans, which is, you know, I've seen it. Is it common or would you say it's uncommon? I would say it's more uncommon. Okay, but it does happen. Yeah, there's, okay. I have clients that, that their particular plan does not allow for loans. Um, and so it, it, when, you, when you talk about loans, there's really two types. There's a general purpose loan, meaning you don't have to define why you need this money at all. You're just borrowing this money and you're going to use it for whatever you want to do and then you pay it back. Well, when it's a general purpose loan, the terms would usually stretch out to you have to pay it back within five years. If what you're talking about is where you're borrowing money to put on a down payment on a home, the IRS gives you a little bit more of a bone and they'll let you stretch those terms out for 10 years. All right, cool. Um, thank you for that, by the way. Let's jump into this. Who should be investing in a 401k? Who shouldn't be investing in a 401k? And if we have time, what if my company doesn't offer a 401k? Or what if I'm self-employed and I'm not big enough to have a 401k or I'm a sole proprietor and I'm the only employee, what are my options? But let's first start with very basically, who in your opinion should be investing in a 401k and at what level? So my answer to that question, just generally speaking, I think everybody should say in their 401k because you know, at its core, what it's doing is you're putting aside money, again, for some sort of future need, whether it's retirement or an emergency you're putting aside money for yourself so that it's going to be there for you when you need it. It's not like you're buying Tupperware. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a way for you to put aside money, and it's a disciplined way to do it. It's not like you have to get paid your wages and then, you know, you pay your taxes, your Social Security, your, your car, your rent, your mortgage, whatever it may be, you know, and then whatever's left in your check account, then you got to go and move it over to the savings. 401k comes right off the top. Yeah, so for savings, right? It's Absolutely. forced. You never see the money. So whatever the frequency of your payroll is, that's the amount that you're going to be, you know, contributing into your savings account. Um, so it's a nice way to do it. It's more of an out of sight, out of mind. Um, but you touched on it earlier. You know, we live in a society where not enough people save money for themselves. Okay, and so you need to put aside some money in a cash reserves. You know, I've seen st statistics that say that, you know, if somebody had to go to, you know, to the doctors for a medical emergency, they would most likely have to finance the uh, the deductible from their insurance. Wow. Because they don't have a thousand or two thousand dollars. So would it make sense before I enroll my company's 401k, should I at least have something in my checking and savings account that's set aside for 
things like uh, medical medical issues that could pop up and I have a deductible I have to pay? Yeah, I would say so, but you know, it, that can also be an excuse for some people. They'd say, okay, I live, you know, I, I don't make a lot, you know, I, my check's not that high, I don't have a lot of room to spend. So, you know, I, I, I'm sympathetic to that, but let me tell you something. I also see the same type of people going to buy coffee at Starbucks three times a week, and that's not cheap. So, you know, there's ways to cut, you know, costs and save money. So, you know, you need to have the discipline to do it. Um, you know, get a good amount of money saved up in your checking account, a couple thousand dollars, so that an emergency does pop up, you know, you're, you're kind of, you can brace for it. But more importantly, the, the nice thing about a, a corporate retirement plan with, a, you know, a 401k, it's, it, it, it forces the discipline on you. You don't have to worry about it. You set it up, and it automatically, you know, come out of your account. Okay, so then... To answer my own question, I think what I heard is if I don't have a dime saved in my checking and savings account, do that first. Get a few grand saved up. Then I need to contact my my company, probably through HR, payroll, benefits. Need to find out about the 401k plan. I need to enroll in it because that's forced disciplined savings. Now, once I do that, how much do I do? Like, is there a, is there a guideline for how much I can do? Well, you, if you look at the numbers and you would like to consistently over a long period of time. Now, I wouldn't start off that way unless you, you're confident you can do it. And I'll use myself as an example. I remember my first 401k in my 20s. Once I became eligible, when, you know, I went in my manager's office and signed up and I did 10% and then I got my first paycheck and it was you know, stick shock. <laughs> what I just do? So, you know, I would say most people typically start out at 4 or 5%. Um, you know, one of the things to look at is if it has a company match, you should be doing at least the minimum amount to get the full match from the company. So that means you got to contribute 5% of your check to get a different number, then that's where I would tell you to start. Well, and, and we covered that, I believe, in the budgeting uh, episode from a couple weeks ago. It's like, that's free money. Like, I, it's always baffled me when our own associates here at Waterstone, and we teach them classes on personal finance, and we're trying to tell them, look, if you're not at a minimum putting in 6%, because we match 50 cents on the dollar up to 6%. So if, if you're not at least putting in 6% of your pay, you're leaving free money on the table. Yeah. To me, that's a 50% rate of return on your money that you're just walking away from. Yeah. Now, well, and think about that. You know, if you put in 6% and, you know, the company's putting in 3%, you're, you're earning 50%. Yeah. Even if you just chose to put it into the money market account in the 401k, so it's not at, at risk at all, losing a penny, you still earn 50%, no matter what. And it's money that came out of my paycheck before I saw it. Hopefully, hopefully it was a dollar amount that didn't give me sticker shock a la Rob Farragher 20 years ago. But um, yeah, that's fantastic. Now, kind of switching gears a little bit, I have money going into my 401k and I'm doing 6% because my company matches, whether it's 50 cents on the dollar up to 6%, a dollar for dollar up to 6%. And by the way, guys listening, I'm using those, those uh, analogies because that's what I have seen throughout my career as being the most typical. Um, is, is that still the way things are, Rob? Typically, it's, it's, if, if there is a match, it's 50 cents on the dollar up to 6% or a dollar for dollar up to 6%. Um, I would say the most common one that I see right now is if you save 6%, you get 3.5%. Okay. Um, if that's assuming it has a match. You know, there's, I, I have plenty of plans that do not have a match. Um, I also want to put, put it out there that if the company doesn't offer a match, that's not a reason not to save your own money. You know, I always kind of thought it was a bit, a bit strange when somebody says, "Well, I don't want to, I don't want to save my money because there's no company match." 
kind of like it's self-defeating. It's almost like saying I'd rather work forever and not save my money to retire because they won't help me fund my retirement. Well, especially because we've already established in today's show that it's a forced disciplined savings that has tax benefits. So yeah, even if your company doesn't match, okay, so you're hitting or you're checking three out of four boxes, yeah. right? You, I mean, it's like the company match is just another box to check, but you, you should do it. Now, is there ever a time that I should not put money into a 401k and I should just jump into an IRA? Um, and that could be a simple yes, no question. I'm just curious for my... I don't know if there is a, a yes or no to that. I mean, there's benefits to both. Um, you know, sometimes it's nice to have the IRA. You know, if you bank with, you know, a local uh, bank or Chase, whatever, you can you can structure an IRA there and, you know, make it just feed into your IRA from your checking account on a monthly basis. Um, the big thing I always look at is, you know, if you're looking to... So the limits on an IRA are significantly lower than a 401. Yeah, right. With an IRA, I think the max is six thousand dollars. A four hundred one k, the max is nineteen thousand dollars. Nineteen five. See, that's why we bring on real financial advisors because I would have thrown out some numbers that were close, but you know, I don't know if there's a twenty sixteen numbers, well, twenty nineteen numbers. Yeah, you, you're off by about a month or two because you yeah. know, that's, this is the twenty twenty numbers, nineteen five. Yeah, and 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 like Coleman always says when when he's on. Um, uh, he's not a financial advisor, but he plays one on TV. Yeah, that's that, that's always my go-to as like the reason why my math may be a little bit fuzzy. Um, okay, so answer this for me. You and I were talking about this uh, off-air earlier. I have this theory that it's way easier to focus on earnings if you want to save more, but you have different insight coming from your line of work than maybe I do. I, I speak off of personal experiences. I understand that when I went from making $30,000, actually my first job out of college was $23,800. Um, but when I, so I couldn't save anything. Like I literally at $23,800, I, I, I either wasn't disciplined enough or I just wasn't making enough. But let's jump it to a couple years later when I was making 36000 When I went from thirty six to sixty six, it became easier to save. Right. So whenever I discuss savings with people, I, t I tend to say, quit focusing so much on saving, focus more on earning because it's way easier to save once you're earning more. But that's just all my personal experience. Just like I, as a loan officer, get to see behind the curtain, right? Thousands of, of people, right? Just like you and I, just like our listeners, I get to figure out who the Joneses are. And who's keeping up with the Joneses? And by the way, there's way, way more trying to keep up than there actually are. In fact, I think many months there's no such thing as the Joneses, but we're all chasing them, right? It's like a, a, a pink spotted unicorn. So what? Pulling out a mortgage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> correct. Yeah, right. If, if, if they're the Joneses, uh, yeah, they don't need a mortgage. Um, what, but what's your take on that? The, the correlation of savings versus earnings and... Um, you know, maybe some, some nuggets you can leave with the audience to help them become more financially fit. So, you know, I, I get what you're saying in terms of, you know, as, as money goes up and you can, you can save more. But some of the, the employees or the participants that I've seen that have gotten the most out of accounts like that would always make it a point that if they did make more money or get some sort of raise, they would redirect that into their savings or their retirement accounts because what it was forcing them to do was still live within the means that they had already established instead of, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm making X amount of an income. 
and living this way, why? Well, if my income goes up, do I want to then increase, you know, chase, chase the Joneses and, and increase your, your, your cost of living? Because, you know, the reality is it's, it's, it's always a function of how much, you know, it's not just how much you make, it's really how much are you spending? Because I've, I work with a lot of people that, that make a lot of money and they spend a lot of money and they're really not much different than somebody who's, you know, not making a lot of money and, and, and not saving enough money. You know, it's always about being disciplined and are you saving enough? Probably not. And then B, you know, are you are you being diligent about making sure your expenses are are not, you know, extravagant? Are, are they keep, are you keeping them in line and try to eliminate debt? As you mentioned in the beginning of the, of the podcast, you know, you gotta have savings. You gotta eliminate debt. I think credit card debt is one of the worst things out there. That unsecured revolving debt is awful. To get out from under that, it requires so much discipline to do that. And you know And almost an impossible amount of discipline. You know, if you're living on a salary, you know, to, to get out from under a credit card debt is it's tough and it's it's almost debilitating to, to, to stay there. You know what's crazy? I want to I want to hit on this because um, you mentioned the word fixed income, and I always love it when um, my retiree friends, right, my retired friends, are like, oh, I'm on a fixed income. I'm like, most people are on a fixed mm-hmm. income. Like my best friend, the cop, he's on a fixed income, yeah. right? My wife, the teacher, she's on a fixed income. Like many of us are on a fixed income. I think because it's a pension or a social security, they, they feel like it's different, but the discipline it takes to get out of credit card debt, that discipline sometimes is a part-time job, right? Sometimes it's, Hey, go get a part-time job or what you just said, stop spending money. And I think it starts with like what you do when you're helping somebody with a mortgage and it's peeling back the curtain. You know, it's, it's almost like you have to face the music and really sit down and spell out all the money that you're spending and what is it going to. Because that's the only way you can truly look at it and say, look, I don't really need to spend this or this or this. You know, not one of these running tallies you have in your mind and you kind of think what you spend per month and, you know, what's your disposable income, which just means, you know, how much is above and beyond what it costs to live. Spell it all out, write it all out, and then, you know, you got to kind of present a, a plan to get there. And it, it, it requires work and discipline. So let's parlay into this because I, I wanted to uh, make sure that we had a chance to go back and forth regarding a, a topic that really you and I started via text message like two weeks ago when I invited you to come on the show. And I said, hey, I want you to talk about uh, why it's stupid to pay off your mortgage. Uh, and you're like, well, I don't think that. I'm like, ooh, uh, okay. It's kind of different than my take, but I want to get your take on it. But be, before we jump in there, something I do want to mention, and it kind of correlates to what we're getting ready to go into People who do have consumer debt, revolving credit card debt, and you and I both see it in our professions. I mean, it's ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars sometimes for some people. Those same people also may have bought a home five, six, seven years ago. They might have put a big chunk of money down. Or if you bought a home seven years ago, you bought it at the right time and your home has appreciated, right? And your home is one of your biggest wealth building tools you'll ever get your hands on, if not the biggest. And just a a, a thought. For some people, it may make sense for them to tap into that equity, whether it's a home equity loan, usually it's a cash out refinance where, where they owe 150 on their house, the home's worth 300 grand, and they can get a new loan for 200. And with that $200,000, their mortgage payment went up by a couple hundred bucks. That's assuming their interest rate stayed the same. Right now, interest rates are super low again. That if they refinance now, there's a chance they could get an even cheaper rate. But let's say they didn't. Let's say worst case, they didn't. They could pay off that twenty, thirty thousand dollars in revolving debt, but 
if they're going to do it, they also have to make some lifestyle changes, right? They also have to make sure that whatever they did to get into that situation, they don't do it again. It is, right? Because, well, heck, some people would argue that we got into the 2007, 2008 financial crisis because people were using their homes as ATM machines. And that's the last thing we ever want to see people do. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. You're the financial advisor. Again, I play one on TV, um, which, by the way, I don't play one on TV. It's just a little saying between Coleman and I. Um, I would like to, if there's any like uh, uh, casting agents out there, I would love nothing more, but, and Rob can attest to this, knowing my personality. Put me on Showtime, put me on HBO, probably can't put me on network television because we can't trust what I'm going to say and I don't follow scripts very well. Unless they're scripts I wrote for prospecting purposes, then I'm pretty decent at them. But nonetheless, cash out refinances is a great way to, to build your, to dig yourself out of a hole as long as you promise yourself not to do it again or go get a part-time job, right? So just uh, food yeah, for thought. I'll I'll add one thing to that. Okay. Saving, if there's a if there's an amount of money that you would have otherwise been putting towards that debt that's now freed up, don't spend it. Now direct that that savings towards a savings vehicle, a retirement account, something. Yeah, your four hundred one k, your IRA, if maybe. You, if you had twenty thousand dollars in debt that you wiped out and you were paying, you know, a thousand dollars a month just to keep it there. Yeah. You know, now use that to start funding yourself something that you can rely on down the road. Yeah, and the key is that you don't have to do that, but but reality states, no. There's many of us, and look, you're looking and listening to someone right now who, that was me. I once used my home's equity to help buy myself out of two upside-down cars that I had financed and buy myself out of 10 or 12 grand in, in credit card debt. Um, and it's not like advisable in terms of like, you don't plan to do that, but you don't plan for certain things in life to happen. If you are a homeowner and you have that equity and you are finding yourself in that situation, it's worth a conversation to look into because you very well could eliminate twelve, thirteen hundred dollars a month in debt that quite honestly, you said it yourself, is gonna be very difficult to dig dig yourself out of. But with a cash out refinance, you could. Um, don't know how we got on that. That's uh, maybe my one and only shameless plug of the week for Waterstone Mortgage and how to contact Dustin Owen, 407-497-8655, 407-645-6363, D-O-N at waterstonemortgage.com. Um, that's for you, Kevin Gillespie. Thanks for the uh, tip and the tidbit. But let's jump into this. Why, when I texted you and I said, I'm going to do a show on why, why paying off your mortgage is stupid, you're like, yeah, I disagree. Like, like, like what are your thoughts on that? Let me preface it with saying, you know, the, the, the caveats that you outlined of having savings built up, you know, six months of living expenses put aside. I agree with all those. Don't, don't even start, you know, paying more into the mortgage until you do all that. Because if not, it's not going to help you in any way. But, you know, and again, 10 years ago, if I would have looked at it, you know, statistically or, or even mathematically, I would have said, you know what, it does make more sense to not pay down the mortgage. Put that new in an interest-bearing interest investment account that you could probably, you know, earn more interest than what you're paying in interest costs on the mortgage. The the problem that I see with that now, and that's probably something that I've seen over the last few years, is is life will throw you a curveball. Okay. Yeah, it's not a matter of if it's it's it yeah Absolutely. yep. And so I know for me personally, I think it would make more sense to pay down the mortgage because I'm a I'm a father. You know, I, I'm a provider to my family. I have two little girls, another one on the way. You know, if, if I can... They didn't teach you what taught that? Like, what, what caused that? Like, after two, like, no one... I have an idea. I just, <laughs> you know, it's not there. So, but, um, you know, my duty is to them, 
right? So I need to make sure that we can always have a home that we can live in. And no matter what happens to my job, my career, my investment licenses, my insurance licenses, none of that would impose my ability to be able to take care of them where I'd be. So, you know, if that means paying down a house so that at night, you know, I know that maybe I put the money into the house instead of an investment account, but I can sleep better knowing that there's always going to be a roof over their heads, that's huge. It's funny you said sleep good at night because uh, through my 15 plus years of consulting home buyers on their financing, I talk about the sleep good at night factor, right? And I, I constantly say, hey, look, I'm going to give you option A, B, and C, and I'm going to explain the pros and cons, but ultimately you have to decide what helps you sleep best at night. My job is to get you into a mortgage that you qualify for. My job is to teach you and educate you, but you have to make a decision, even if that decision is a little bit more conservative. That's the decision that, that you should probably make. But but just to clarify, you don't totally disagree with make sure you have no revolving debt, make sure you have six months or three months reserve before you start applying extra money towards your mortgage. I would say that's mandatory. That's mandatory. I think, I think everybody, in order to have you know financial freedom or the ability to sleep well at night, should have uh, a cash reserve saved up for you know the, the deductible on your, your medical insurance, whatever the case may be. Transmission goes, AC brakes, roof leak, etc. Yeah, and you say six months. You know, I think that's the the baseline, right? I think it would be nice for somebody. You know, I have a year's worth of money just put aside. That if God forbid anything happens to my job or my career, I now have twelve months to find something before I start stressing out and losing my money. And and I'd say I, I mean I love twelve months, and twelve months is a BHAG, yeah. a big, hairy, audacious goal. Start with three. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Start with one. Celebrate it. Go do a nice dinner. Then get three, celebrate that with a weekend getaway. Then get six, celebrate that with maybe a, a, a three-day out-of-town trip. Get 12 and do something badass. Like Do something fun to celebrate your awesomeness. Now, would you ever recommend or personally follow p- applying extra money towards your mortgage before you start contributing to your 401k? Or would you still rather see someone do a 401k before extra money towards mortgage? Yeah, I, I think the mortgage is what comes at the six to eight months of, you know, expenses put aside. Um, no, no credit card debt. No credit card. Yeah. Yep. That, that goes without saying. It, it, essentially, the only debt I would probably be comfortable with is maybe a vehicle. But, yeah. Um, well, you can finance them so cheap. Yeah. Right. You can, when, when you're paying 0.9 to 2.9%, it's kind of like free money. As long as you don't go out and overbuy, yep. right? That's where the discipline aspect, I guess, comes into play. Oh, that's, that's a whole, you know, it's interesting. Next week, we're actually going to have on a top car salesman to, to teach us how to buy cars fiscally responsible in 2020 and beyond. Right. And that's something I want to ask him is, you know, never buy new, always buy a year or two old, get it with 20, 30,000 miles. Cause you mentioned depreciation. That's a little uh, foreshadowing for next week. Reason why you should tune in. But um, you were saying again, Six months reserved, that's knocked out, no consumer debt. And my question was... Saving to a retirement, whether it's a 401k or an IRA. But I, we, IRAs we, are just individual retirement accounts. It's like a mini 401k for yourself. Yep, and, and we would normally say look at your 401k first because it very well mm-hmm. is going to have more benefits than an IRA. Yep. Uh, but again, consult your own financial advisor. Uh, if you don't know one, I know one. He's on the show right now. His name is Rob Farragher. I'm sure at the end he'll give you his contact information. But once you've done that, I think this is where you and I differ. Mm-hmm. 
I would say, well, first, and I did say on last week's podcast, pat yourself on the back, do a shot of Jaeger because you're doing it, right? If, if you are six months reserves, no consumer debt, and you're maxing out your 401k, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you get to see this day in, day out. You're now becoming the Joneses, right? I would say you're probably well ahead of the vast majority of people. Uh, yep. In this and then I would then want to see people taking any leftover money and putting it into a managed account, whether it's a, an ETF or a mutual fund or a stock account. This is where I think you and I differ. You're like, no. I, again, you know, mathematically, yeah, it probably makes more sense to do that. But the, the, the piece that you're not factoring in or that I, I tend to rely on is that the, the risk. What is the downside? You know, is that could there be a catastrophic loss of career or job? In my world, it could be legislation that changes what we do and, and how I can you know manage my career. And keep in mind, you know, I don't want to be negative or anything, but you know, a lot of people are probably you know a happy hour away from some some terrible life experiences. You know, so I don't want to go down that road. But let me tell you something: everybody in this you know in this world lives a lot closer to catastrophe than they think. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're putting that money into that managed account and it, as opposed to, you know, paying down that, that mortgage or you're paying off your home, you know, if, if anything did happen or you did lose the jobs or whatever, you can't live in that. Well, and, and many of us, and, and my wife and I included, we do sleep better at night when that mortgage statement comes and I see what I've paid my loan down to and I kind of have an idea what my home is worth, mm-hmm. right? Like... Yeah, I do sleep better at night. And I know this from, from personal experience. I can't go to Vegas and have a couple cocktails. And I don't have Coleman with me rolling dice. So now I'm on like a, a, a two-hour-long losing streak. I really can't go to my house and be like, hey, I know you have about hundred grand of my wealth sitting there. I need to go put it all on red and let the roulette wheel spin. Because it's kind of it's, – it's sunken into an asset that I – it's not easy to get money out of your home. So I I could see where that's a benefit. Now I also teach how that could be a detriment because if you didn't have the six months reserves, but you had all this equity, well, what happens when life throws you a curveball? You can't go to your home, but you and I are talking totally different. After the six months reserve, you know, the, you know, when, when you look at it as, you know, biologically speaking, you know, you have to have shelter, right? You don't have to have an investment account. So as long as you've got the savings, the six months in it, you know, into the accounts, you're safe if you know you have a barrier to protect you for at least six months. You know, for me personally, I think it would make more sense to, to pay off or pay down that mortgage just to kind of give you the the room to sleep a little bit more. Comfortable. Okay, and but you know, again, it, it's not science. Well, it's not to, a linear answer of yes or no. This is what's right or wrong. There's a lot of variables that, that go into it, and you know, some you know some people would, would view it differently, or maybe they don't have the appetite for the risk of you know stock markets. I meet plenty of people that tell me all the time. They want to be aggressive. We set them up in, a, in a, an aggressive portfolio, and there's one bad movement in the market the next day, and they, they panic and lose their mind. And I have to remind them that they're not really an aggressive person. They don't have that type of appetite for risk that some do. So, um, Yeah, know. they only want to swing for home runs if you can guarantee them <laughs> that the pitch is going to be easy to hit right down the middle, and they're going to make contact every time. Um, now this is fantastic. We, we, there's so much we didn't get into that, uh, w- would you be open in a few months of coming back? And I mean, we didn't talk about time value of money. We didn't talk about investing strategies and compounding interest. 
yeah, timing the market or not timing the market. Like you'd probably say there's no such thing as time the market. That's well, why. Yeah, that's why I like 401ks. You know, you know that every month or whatever the frequency of your payroll is, you're going in and, and putting money into an investment. So whether the, the markets are high or low, if they're low, you're buying more of it. If they're high, you're buying less of it. So and, and there's actually a terminology behind that. Uh, when you're not trying to time the market, what's that terminology again? The dollar cost averaging. Dollar cost averaging, yep. So there's so much that we could do that is – you know, what I think is it's still everything that they should have taught, taught us in high school, but they didn't, right? Like this isn't, it may sound like rocket science, but it's not. Um, I promise. I also want to say, I think it's overwhelming to a lot of people. You know, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that people have to do in life that they don't teach you in school. You know, you're going to have issues with your car. You're going to have to pay your taxes. You know, they don't, they should teach these things. But, you know, when it comes to saving, you know, money in a retirement account, whether it be a 401k or an IRA, it's not daunting. You know, it, 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 it's not too difficult to dive in and, and do some research and understand and, and learn. So that's where I think, you know, working with somebody can help you. Because I would say a lot of my job revolves around helping it make sense to a lot of people and them understanding what this particular investment does, what that one does and all that. So. No, I think you're 100% right. It, it, it is daunting. So instead of trying to learn it or calling someone, people just don't do it, which is probably the worst thing that, that they can do. It's like having high blood pressure and never going to get it checked out. Yeah, because you're afraid the doctor's going to tell you what you already know. Uh, I don't want to know. It's been years. Yeah. Years, years go by. And then, you know. um, no. So we didn't cover this, and, and we're not, we don't have time to, but I want to at least have the question answered. If I'm self-employed, I own my own business, what are my options if I don't have a 401k because I'm not big enough as an employer to, to have a 401k? Are there, are there opportunities for me to invest? If if, yeah, and I, the, the way I would look at it is if, think you can do six thousand dollars or less you know put it into an ira okay you can you can remove that six thousand dollars from your income in most scenarios if you're looking to do more than that there are other vehicles out there that you can so, set up. so i like i like look at it from the standpoint of how much do you, can you afford to shelter from uh, okay so so if i were to summarize if my employer or if i am my employer if we don't offer a 401k mm-hmm. i should look for an ira and you told us earlier that we can not only look for the IRA, but they can set it up somehow with my banking institution that the money is direct, yep. directly withdrawn. I think it's easiest to just do it wherever you have your checking. Yep, a, a set amount, fifty bucks a week, two hundred bucks a month, whatever, whatever my my budget allows for. But that would be an answer. Now, if someone had more in-depth questions, or they needed help setting up an IRA, or maybe they own their own business and they don't currently own a, uh, offer 401k to their employees, but they want to, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Is that something you would like to help them with? Sure. I mean, I, you know, if you have questions and need help, feel free to reach out. Um, I'll give you my email address. That'd probably be the easiest route. It's Robert at S is in Sam, A is in Apple, Services Group. And SAS stands for? Sequoia Advisors. All right. Is there a phone number they could reach you on? Fantastic. Hey, man, I appreciate uh, you coming on. You being my first guest. What's it like being my first? It's great. Yeah? Um, Everything that you've I ever wanted to be. The, the way through the jungle, and everybody that's going to come in behind me, it's just going to be easy peasy. Yeah. Just watch this and understand, here's all you got to do. You know, one way or the other, you set the bar. Okay. You either set it really low or really high. That's why I'll come back, and we'll see you know, if somebody starts to elevate it. I'll, we'll see if I can match it. Yeah, no. Let's, uh, let's definitely do it again. Uh, he is Robert Farragher with Sequoia. I'm Dustin Owen. I work for Waterstone Mortgage. If you ever need to get a hold of me, 407-645-6363, DustinOwen.com, D-Owen at WaterstoneMortgage.com. 
This has been the Loan Officer Podcast with Dustin Owen and my special guest, Rob Farragher. Peace. Thank you.